Um, let me just pray for us real quick. Lord, I thank you for bringing each one of us here today, Lord. I thank you for your grace in our life, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, um, Lord, that you gave us a way to know you and to know you well. And Lord, we, we thank you for freedom. Um, we thank you for the freedom that we find in Christ. And Lord, would you use uh, this whole study in Galatians, Lord, um, today as well, to really grow in us um, a sense of what it means to live in that freedom. Amen. Um, so, I like to write things out. Um, so there's a much longer version of the sermon in the back that you can grab afterwards. Um, the reason it's much longer is because, um, we'll get into the passage for a second, but there's a couple of lists in this passage, and you know we have like 30, 40 minutes, um, an hour if you're Eric, now to, <laughs> to, to go through this stuff. Um, <laughs> sorry, we're done. No. Um, so so the, the reason it's longer is because I took each one of those and um, took a Bible dictionary and came out with a definition for you. Because sometimes we go and we think we know what witchcraft means, for instance, um, and we start thinking of Halloween. Um, but you know, when Scripture talks about witchcraft, it's, it's talking about a much different thing. So, yeah, I would encourage you to take that home and kind of meditate on the different lists and see there's a list of kind of the sinful nature and then there's a list of the fruits of spirit and I don't know, use it in your quiet times, use it however you want to, but that's what it is. Um, okay, so we've been going through Galatians for a while now. Does anyone have a sense of what the purpose of Galatians is? And I have a mic, and I'm, I will travel. So, so does anyone, you know, we've, we've been doing this, I don't know for how long, but anyone willing to give us an answer about, you know, what's the in a sentence or two, what's the purpose of Galatians? Nick, thank you. <laughs> Didn't want to be standing there too long. Yeah, resonate. Um, I would say that so far I'm getting the sense that this is a book that's attempting to put a church of once faithful believers back on track. That they're sliding back into um, sort of classical Judaism and, and relying on that for salvation, whereas they need to be relying on Christ. Yeah, that's why you hand the mic out, because people answer questions better than you do. Um, <laughs> thank you, Nick. Um, yeah, so, and the, and the word that Galatians, that Paul has been using to the Galatians this whole time to kind of capture that is freedom. You know, um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Um, you know, we just, talked, we just sang a song about freedom. Um, and I think when we, when we think about freedom, we have lots of, lots of images that come to mind. And I think as Americans, you know, we tend to think of you know, freedom as being able to being, having rights to things. You know, we have rights to you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's kind of built into us as Americans. Um, I would argue that Paul is actually talking about a different freedom. And this is the freedom to recapture your your created, your created, your created state. Um, 
you know, we were, mankind was created in order to glorify God. And part of our wiring is we get the most joy when we are pursuing God and when we are glorifying him. Um, but we, we have all these other things that we think bring us happiness and think, think bring us joy. Um, but those actually enslave us. And so, you know, in this, in this book and in this um, part of the book, you know, Paul is again just reminding us that it is for freedom we have been set free. You know, don't go back to this old life where you're a slave to yourself, where you're a slave to your sinful nature. All right, so let's read through the passage. Um, so this is in the NIV entitled Life by the Spirit. Um, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Um, so, so far in Galatians, we've been concentrating a, a lot on what not to do. I'm not sure where we are in this. Um, we'll get there in a second. Um, we've been talking about, a lot about what not to do. Today we're going to kind of move into, you know, what it, not so much the not freedom, but what does freedom look like? Um, before we dive into this, this talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and we get way off when we start thinking about the Spirit. So I just, you know, put up a few bullet points to kind of frame our thinking about the Spirit. Um, and I didn't make these up. So, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come and go from Christians. Um, he's in you. You get him when you, you know, when you have faith in Jesus Christ. His primary concern is to glorify, I have Christ, I would say God is probably more accurate, both God the Father and um, Christ the Son. Um, that's, that's his primary concern. When he works fruits in you, when he gives you gifts, it's towards that end. It's not towards your own ends. It's not so you look good. It's to glorify God and for God to look good. And there's two ways we can, we can treat the Holy Spirit or we can interact with the Holy Spirit. We can quench him or resist him um, or we can be filled by him. And filling is not, um, not the sense that the Holy Spirit comes on you and you start dancing around or you start speaking in tongues. That can happen. But by and large, being filled with the Spirit is <clears throat> a process in which you confess sin, you turn away from it, and you yield your life to him. Um, the more of your life you yield to him, the more you are filled with him. And there is yeah, a passage in Luke that kind of talks about this um, indirectly. Uh, Jesus is, is speaking to the disciples and other followers, and he says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, 
and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Um, so that so you have you know, room for any kind of spirit in your life. You can, you can fill your life with evil spirits, you, know, you can pursue those ends, or you can fill your life with a spirit. Um, and it's not enough just to confess and turn away from sin. Um, if you don't fill your life with the spirit, you know, your final condition will be worse than the first. Uh, so, flesh versus the spirit. Um, so, four things I want to point out about this part of the passage. First, um, it talks about a sinful nature. Um, that is something that we are all born with. Um, there's only a couple humans that didn't ever have that. They, they quickly got it, though, Adam and Eve. Um, so, because they sinned, we are stuck in this pattern of sin. We have a sinful nature. We're born into it. We don't have to be taught how to sin. Um, yeah, my daughter doesn't have to be <laughs> taught how to, you know, take things from other kids and, you know, hit them if they want them back like that. <laughs> she knows it. I promise I didn't teach her that. Um, and the other, uh, the other thing is this idea of conflict. Um, you know, if you have the spirit in you, uh, we, know, we know we have sinful natures, so that's just a given. But when the Spirit comes into you, there will be conflict. God is good. He can't abide by evil. So if there's no conflict, you know, we, know, we know it's not because we don't have sin. Um, you know, maybe it's because we don't have the Spirit. Um, so if, you're, I mean, if, if you can read through these lists and feel pretty good about yourselves, you know, go back. <laughs> go back. Um, yeah, God is good. He will not abide by sin in your life. And if you continue to quench him, you know, he will say, okay, that's, that's fine with me. Um, but if you yield to him, you'll always have this tension in your life where God is revealing sin to you and where you need to root it out and crucify it. Um, and the other thing is we're not under the law anymore. And I think that's kind of a hard concept to get. I don't know that I fully got it yet. Um, but um, reading other wiser people's writings, um, it seems that there is, there's at least two senses we're not under the law anymore. Um, one, Jesus paid for our sins. You know, the wages of sin is death. We're all born with that sinful nature, therefore we all deserve death. And, but Jesus pays for that, so we're not under, we're not facing the penalty of sin anymore, you know, if we are pursuing Christ. The second sense is that when when we become Christians, God actually, in Ezekiel, it talks about this imagery of like, he takes our heart of stone out and he gives us a heart of flesh and he births in us desires for godliness. So we're not under the law anymore because it's not this external force. The law, the law is written on our hearts. It becomes what we desire to do. Like, in the setting where you know, sinful people are under a law, we actually desire sin and then we refer to this law, and that keeps us away from sin. But now, now we have the Spirit in us. We have, this, we have God in us. God desires good. Therefore, we desire good. And we are, you know, we're back to that created state where we find our joy in Christ. Um, so that's... Does that make sense? <laughs> um, okay. If you, if you have any questions at any point, let's stop and raise your hand and... Or just shout it out. 
and we'll talk about it. Um, okay, so the acts of the sinful nature. Um, there's a lot of them here, and again, that's why the notes are in the back, so you can go back through them um, more thoroughly. I mean, I would encourage you to really meditate on this list. Like, we shouldn't rush through these things. Every one of those words was put there for a purpose. Um, and we shouldn't be congratulating ourselves as we go through this. Um, and I kind of want to pull out a few of them. Um, kind of the hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Um, you know, it's easy, it's easy to get caught up in like, you know, we talk about sexual immorality a lot. We talk about idolatry a lot. Um, that's in the notes. Go through it. But, uh, but what we don't talk a lot about is our interactions with other Christians. Um, the way the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ is by building up Christ's body on earth. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals, again, kind of an American idea, or at least a Western idea. Um, and so we're like, well, if I just get all the, the fruits of the Spirit good in my life, then I'll be glorifying God. But we can't. We cannot glorify God apart from other believers. You know, because, you know, at best, you'll be, you know, like a really good-looking foot or a really nice ear. Um, but if they want to see Christ, if they want to see Christ, they have, it has to be as a body. Um, you know, so don't, don't do this on your own. Um, and I would just want to do something slightly strange here, but could everyone stand up for a second and just... You know, do a slow, like, 360 of the room. Like, look, look at the people in here. You probably can't see anyone now that everyone's standing up, but... <laughs> so turn all the way around, and then sit back down. <laughs> all right, so who here was born in Detroit? Anyone? I wasn't. I'll raise my hand, though. Um, okay. Uh, who here is married? Okay. How many people have kids? Okay. Um, so those are a few things that could actually divide us. Like, we, we can group together with people that have similar interests as us. Like, you know, some of us went to college, some of us didn't. You know, some of us are white, some of us are black. Um, and what could be a great testimony to Christ's unity um, can also, without us really making any effort to do so, we can just, we can just become and <clears throat> group ourselves into and around and do things with people that are like us, that like similar things as us, that look and talk like us. Um, you know, you can, you can see it when, when we go down and have brunch. Like, it's really easy to talk to people that have similar interests as you. Um, but what's hard is, is, is this idea of unity um, and this idea of becoming one in Christ, like it talks about earlier in Galatians. Um, so I would encourage you, when you're here, don't just talk to the people in your group. When you're down you know, at brunch, don't just talk to you know, the people you came with. Um, you know, don't just talk to the people that are in med school, if you're in med school. Um, you know, don't, if you're from the community, don't just talk to people from the community. If you're not from the community, try to talk to someone from the community. Um, yeah, if we, if we don't intentionally cross those lines, our default mode is to be comfortable. Yes. And being comfortable 
ends us in factions, it ends us in discord. You know, five, ten years down the road, it might, it might not, you might not be able to see it now, but five, ten years down the road, you know, we'll, we'll be looking at people and we'll, they've been coming here for the same amount of time as you have and you won't even know them. And all of a sudden, these little disagreements, it'll be like, well, that group says this and this group, you know, wants red carpet and, you know, all of a sudden, things that don't even matter will start to divide us and we'll kind of be in our groups and we'll be set. Um, so, you know, at first, when we were a small body, sorry, nostalgia, um, <laughs> when, we had like, when we had five, ten people, um, you know, you were forced to talk to people that weren't like you if you wanted any community. Now, you know, we're much bigger. This, is, I don't, this might be the biggest group I've seen here. Um, and it'll, there's enough people that you can just be around people that are like you if you want to. But I would encourage you to not do that. Um, yeah, just remember, you know, we can't, we can't bear God's image apart. That's, that's what we're being freed up to do. We're being freed up, you know, to take up our, our created role of bearing God's image. This is the thing that will bring you the most joy in life. This isn't a duty. Um, but we have to, we actually have to live it out. Um, and this is, you know, this is really hard. I think the thing I key on in this list is kind of selfish ambition. Um, and it, I think Adrian brought it up in our prayer request. But just this idea that, you know, putting others' interests ahead of your own is, is very unnatural to us in our sinful state. Um, you know, when we think about, you know, where we want to live, um, what books we buy or read, um, what church to attend, what movies to watch, what clothes to buy, what school to go to, um, you know, how much to tithe. All of these things, if we aren't yielding to the Holy Spirit, if we aren't actively renewing our minds, we will choose the path of least resistance. We will choose what makes us comfortable and what makes us comfortable. Like we're, you know, we're referring to our own needs all the time. Like that's, that's what we do. Um, but, you know, Scripture tells us to consider others better than ourselves. You know, all of those things, the discord, you know, jealousy, dissensions, factions, and envy, those things happen when we don't consider others better than ourselves. <clears throat> when we aren't about building up the body, when we're about getting ours. Um, so, and as, as you're going through this list in your mind, or even just thinking about everyday life, a lot of times we're tempted to ask the question, you know, how close can I get to sin? Where is the line of, you know, where sin starts? Um, I propose to you that that is absolutely the wrong question. Um, that in that question, you're actually making a goal of sin. You're fixating on sin. Sin is what you desire. Again, the law is keeping you what, from what you desire. So you want to know where the law stops. Um, so as Christians, we're not to focus on ourselves. We're not to focus on what we want, um, what our, you know, our sinful nature wants. We're supposed to focus on Christ. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Christ. And that is how we avoid sin. You know, read, um, I think, Hebrews 12, you know, 1 through 3. It talks about, you know, throwing off the sin that hinders us and fixing our eyes on Christ. Fixing your eyes on Christ is how you avoid sin. When Peter was walking towards Christ on the water, he was good when his eyes were fixed on Christ. You know, we started to worry about all this other stuff, that's when he fell. Um, so, you don't, you don't stop sinning by looking at your sin. Um, you stop sinning by looking at Christ. Um, so 
It's just kind of a few questions. We won't spend much time here. Um, but one way to measure, you know, are you doing things out of selfish ambition or are you doing things out of, you know, a bodybuilding, God's bodybuilding, <laughs> weird image, sorry. Um, are, you, are you building God's kingdom or your own? Like, is this idea of first fruits, which is an Old Testament idea of Israelites being called upon to give the best and the first of their, you know, their harvest, of what they had. Um, so, you know, when, when you get your paycheck, what's the first thing that you do with it? Like, do you set aside a tithe? Or do you, you know, well, I might have enough for that flat screen TV this time. Um, you know, or I'd really like to, I mean, make sure your cable's paid for, make sure your internet's paid for. Like, you know, what, what drives, where, does your, where do your first fruits go? Does God get, like, you know, the leftovers, or does he get your best? <clears throat> does his body get your leftovers, or does he get your best? Like, when, when we talk about going and serving at the Parker House, like, what are, our, what are our reasons for not doing that? Are they because we have to study for our test? Um, you know, we have to spend time with our family. You know, those can be good things, but those can also be getting in the way of you serving the body. Those can be putting your interests above the interests of um, the body of Christ. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit. And so the sinful nature was talked about in terms of acts, like the acts of the sinful nature. Here we have the fruit. Um, and that kind of, I think, points back to the source of you know, where these are coming from. Are the acts, we can do acts on our own. We can sin all by ourselves. Um, but we can't, do, we can't bear fruit apart from the Spirit. And we can't bear fruit if we're not being grafted into the true vine of Jesus Christ. So don't try these on your own. Um, you know, you have to be yielding to the Spirit to have this happen. And we're kind of just talk briefly about each one. Um, so love. Love is a, kind of a funny place to start because elsewhere in Paul's writings, he talks about it as kind of as including all these other fruits. It's kind of the summation. Jesus talks about it as the summation of the law. Like, it doesn't replace the law, it fulfills the law. And again, this is a desire that's birthed in you. Like, there is no law that will be, you know, against you loving other people. Um, you will fulfill the laws of godliness as you are loving. Um, but anyway, love, the definition I have is compassion realized at any cost to self. And I get that from 1 John 3:16 through 18, um, which I don't have in front of me. But maybe someone can find that for me. If you have a Bible, First John three sixteen through eighteen. Yeah, compassion without regard for cost to self, which will make more sense if we get that passage. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so in that passage, it talks about you know have, having pity on your fellow man. And, you know, we know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. So we have this, this pity that Christ had on us for our spiritual depravity. But then John moves right from there into this talk of, you know, if any of you has... Caleb, you got it? Yeah, hold on a sec, man.
So, yeah, again, love it has this like this pity for spiritual depravity, and it also has a pity for for material depravity, physical depravity. Um, and it doesn't seem in that passage that one is given the preference over the other. But often, we give a preference to one or the other. We either wa- want to be all about fixing people's problems, like that we can see, we want to build them houses, do all that stuff, or we want to just give them truth. But it seems in Scripture that those two are always simultaneously um, achieved. And the second fruit is joy. Um, and I would define this as a hopeful disposition in light of reward. Um, scripture doesn't ask us to have joy just because. Um, it says you have been offered the greatest reward. You have been offered Christ, life with Christ, unending life with Christ. Um, so live accordingly. You know, live, live like you have the greatest reward. You know, when, when someone offers you the opportunity to sin, don't be like, oh man, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so I don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, offer that person the reward. Don't, don't get into this trap where you're, saying, where you're actually affirming in that person's heart that there's something worthwhile to their sin, that there's something worthwhile to sleeping with their girlfriend. Um, you know, don't, don't offer, you know, this, this Jesus, this joyless Jesus to others. Because he's the great reward. Um, yeah, I think, I think if we understood that, we would approach um, suffering differently. Scripture talks about suffering, you know, as, you know, the means to which we are prepared for this reward. And, you know, Paul encourages people to rejoice in suffering and because of suffering. Um, you know, but we, we, think it's, we think it's strange. It rocks our faith when bad things happen to good people, um, and most of our ourselves. Um, but, but remembering that God promises that all things are being worked together for the good of those who love him. Like, if we can believe that promise... You know, suffering is another step in that process. Um, it's the refining. You're being prepared for your reward. Um, peace. Peace is this kind of Old Testament. It carries with it the Old Testament idea of shalom, which is completeness, this soundness, this well-being. It's, again, believing the promises that, that God is a good shepherd, that Jesus is a good shepherd, that he has your good in mind. And so, you know, there's a song that says, you know, when all around this soul, um, this soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Like, that's the peace that we have. But we have to actually believe the promises. If we don't believe the promises, you know, again, we'll struggle. And patience. God-given restraint in the face of opposition or oppression. Um, you know, the Christian walk is an ongoing Thing. It's not a one-and-done thing. Um, it's this. It's an endurance race, um, is how Paul describes it often. And it's not, it's not one that, again, you do out of a sense of duty to this external law. It's one that you get joy in because you have the Holy Spirit's desires being worked out in your life. You desire the same thing as the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's not a burden. Um, a lot of you, when you think of running, probably think of it very burdensome. Um, and for a long time, I did too. 
but I kept running. And, um, you know, eventually there is this, there is this sense that when you go out for a run that it's kind of a release. And Alex can probably relate to this, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it becomes, it ceases to be this burden, this hardship, and becomes something that you can, um, Paul says, like, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Um, um, and this idea of patience also precludes complaining. Um, I think one of the things, one of the commands in the Bible we disobey most frequently, and I certainly do, is Paul's exhortation to the Philippians to do everything without complaining. Um, you know, we get into a work situation or a school situation, and people love to complain. <laughs> like, again, that's, that comes naturally to us. And we like, we like to commiserate, and that's how we, in some ways, bond with each other, like, you know, against our manager, against our teacher, or mom, dad, whoever. But we are to do everything without complaining. You know, and again, that's because we have the joy, the peace, the patience that Christ, you know, births in us. Um, the next one is kindness, and which is to d- simply do good for another. Um, this can be done with both words and deeds. And though it's relatively easy to offer kindness, um, I think it's, it is hard to live it out. It's hard to follow through. You know, we often will say to other people, yeah, just give me a call if you need me and probably hoping they don't call us one. But also, but also we've structured our lives in such a way where we, we aren't available when they do call. Um, we're like, oh, well, I have, a, I have a test tomorrow, so I've got to study for it, sorry. Or, you know, this is, I was working all week, and this is the only time that I've got to be home. Um, you know, my football game's on, can't really come right now. Um, so I think we need to reorient ourselves to not only offering kindness, but being available and desiring to actually be kind. <clears throat> and goodness. Goodness is essentially the essence of God. Um, it's a preference of right over wrong. And God is good. So we prefer God over things that are not God. Um, and it's firm and persistent resistance to moral evil. Um, yeah, again, a process. Faithfulness. Um, faithfulness is unswerving adherence, which is impervious to the influences um, that would weaken it. Um, you know, are we faithful with God? Like, or do we drop him when truth becomes inconvenient? You know, there's a lot of situations, at least on college campus, where, you know, being a Christian is inconvenient. You know, you're looked down on as stupid or like, that's... You know, that's kid stuff. I think that happens in our community, too. Like, once you get to a certain age, like, church is for kids. Um, so, are, you know, are we being faithful to God? Are we sticking with him even when, you know, even when we might invite um, some disapproval from those around us? You know, are we faithful with our spouses? Even, and especially, when they're not faithful to us, when we don't feel like they're living up you know, to our, you know, our standards of what a wife should be. You know, are we still faithful to them? You know, are we faithful with our word? And I think this is something that we, again, struggle with a lot. You know, do we, do we show up when we say we're going to show up? You know, faith, faithfulness is one of the things that, you know, the discipleship relationship is built on. Um, but it's also just what relationships in the body are built on. You know, can we trust you 
to be somewhere when you say you'll be there, not 10, 20, 30 minutes late. Um, you know, that includes coming to church, actually, in my mind. <laughs> um, you know, as a, as a, this, is a, this is a teaching time, this is a worship time, and we do this as a body. And this is something that we should look forward to. Um, you know, but we kind of treat it, you know, laissez-faire, like it doesn't matter. Um, and gentleness. So gentleness is something I struggle with a lot. Um, it's, it's a mildness of disposition. It's a meekness. It is not timidity, though. Um, it is not, you know, backing down when other people, um, you know, when, when other people come back at you. Um, I th- the reason I struggle with it is because I like, I like to, you know, tell, tell it the way it is. I like to just let you guys have it. Um, I like to let my wife have it, have, let my daughter have it. Um, but there's a way to, to give truth to people, you know, <clears throat> I forget how Paul says it, but that, that kind of tears down the, the gentleness and kindness that Christ showed us. It kind of, it thwarts that, like, you can't be, you know, you can offer truth, but we have to offer it in such a way that we don't, um, you know, throw contempt on what Christ has done for us. We owe other people the same kindness and gentleness that Christ showed us. And so as for, for the truth tellers out there, the people who like to keep it real, I would just encourage you to, as, you're, as you are, you know, approaching people, as you are, you know, calling out sin or encouraging people towards righteousness, keep in mind the purpose of what the Spirit is working this fruit in through you. Like, it is, it is for the body to be built up. It's not for the body to be torn down. It's not for divisions to occur. It's not for us to look good. Um, it's for the body's benefit. Um, and self-control is the last one. Um, yeah, so self-control, I think, is just the, the frame of mind that says, although everything is permissible for me, I will only pursue that which is beneficial. Um, and again, there's lots of ways to measure benefit, but I would think scripture would measure benefit in our ability, in whether something increases or takes away from our ability to seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. Um, so, we're, we don't measure benefit like, you know, do I get a car out of this, or, you know, do I get a better job, do I get a raise? Um, we measure, does this benefit the body of Christ? Is the body of Christ built up through this? Um, and self-control requires an exuberance for Christ and a hatred of sin. You know, we really have to be sold on the idea that Christ is our all. Or else none of this makes any sense. Um, if Christ isn't your all, if you, if you value sin over Christ, this won't make any sense. You have, to, you have to love Christ, you have to adore Christ, and you have to hate sin in order for this to be real to you. Um, so again, just back to this idea that we have to live life by the Spirit. We can't do this in ourselves. Um, and the reason I, I chose to pick out the, the selfish ambition part and the discord and the dissensions is because Paul revisits that idea again. He's like, once you've added all these fruits, still beware that you can become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Like, as, you know, as we grow as a body, as we grow you know, in holiness, like in our knowledge of God, do not become conceited. Do not think that your knowledge adds, you know, makes you a better person. Um, you know Christ better, and that's the benefit. 
Um, you know, do not provoke each other. You know, if you have differences, settle them. Talk about them. Don't, don't provoke each other. Don't, <clears throat> don't encourage dissension in the body. You know, we can, have, we can have arguments and discussions about stuff, but we, all, we need to be continually reminding ourselves, do these arguments lead somewhere? You know, if we figure out the answer to this problem, do we benefit from it? If not, don't argue about it. You know, move on. Um, so, kind of in summary questions, you know, are you making war on the sin in your life? Or is it something you're apathetic to? You know, do you care about holiness in your life. Because we've been set free from, <clears throat> you know, we're not under the law, but we are having godliness worked out through us by the Holy Spirit, um, which involves making war on sin. Is there a conflict in your life? And, you know, on the other hand, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do others see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You know, we talked about joy for a second, and I think in, in First Peter, he talks about you know, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. I think joy and hope are uh, virtually synonymous. Um, has anyone ever stopped anyone in here and said, why are you so hopeful? Where does your joy come from? No one has ever asked me that question, um, which is convicting. Like, you know, joy is not something, it's not this peace that stays within us. It's it's this tangible, felt thing that other people should, according to First Peter, <clears throat> be able to you know, notice in your life and ask about it. You know, and are you using your fruit and your gifts for building up the body? Like that's, in the end, that's what it's all about. That's how we glorify Christ. We do it as a body. And that's how the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. I think that's it. Does anyone have any questions? Um, Where is the individual and where is the body in this? Yeah, I don't know that there's a clear line drawn. Um, I would, I mean, yeah, I think there's responsibility on an individual level and on a a corporate body level. Um, You know, this idea that, you know, all the members have to be, you know, built up as individuals in order for the body to be strong. You know, kind of going more towards the the 1 Corinthians 12 passage that talks about gifts. but, yeah, I think, yeah, we, we need to be about, the, you know, y- yielding to the Holy Spirit is something that you have to do on an individual level. You know, the body can encourage each other in it. Um, but, and, and for the body to be built up, that has to be done, you know, on an individual level. But ultimately, we glorify Christ, I think, as a body. And that's, you know, that's, that's how we measure our decisions. We're kind of like, you know, cells in a body or members of a body and, you know, you know, we, we still want to be good at our part. We still want to be a good hand or a good foot. But all of that, you know, points back to the body. Does that answer the question? <laughs> okay. And there, 
I don't know if I mentioned that specifically in the notes, but you can go there for more information. Any other questions? Okay, we're going to do tithe now. Um, and before we do tithe, again, there's notes in the back. People can hand them out. Uh, people will hand them out to you as you go. Um, so yeah, let me just pray for the tithe real quick. If if you're new here, you know, you're welcome to not give us any money. That's fine. Um, it's it's really not about the money. This is a way for you to glorify God. You know, 